So praise God. Let's just remember as the song was saying, all the glory belongs to you, God. God, all the glory belongs to you, God. So glorify yourself, Lord God. Do your scripture today, Lord Jesus. Allow your word to go forward, Lord Jesus, to strengthen my brothers and sisters, God, to bring them to revelation, God, to bring them to boasting in the cross, to, to bring them to boasting in the gospel, God, by your word, God. May they remember your truth, Lord, as we go through your scriptures, God. May your word begin to just just play on our heartstrings, God, and draw us closer to you, Lord God. It is your word, God. Your word is never failing, Lord God. It is your word that we put our hope in, God. We know you are true. Let every man be a liar and God be true. Lord, go forward to your word. Speak, Lord Jesus. Bring my brothers and sisters to revelations, to understanding, God. Bring them to a, a rich understanding, God, as you've been ministering to me, Lord. God, in the hotel last night, Lord, I, I pray, Jesus, make your word clear, God. Make your word clear. Sub prayer. Amen. Amen. Right. Amen. So, Pastor Brian is... Been going through the book of Romans. We've been enjoying that. And um, when he was preaching the other week, I noticed this. I'm like, whoa, Pastor Brian is is preaching on through the book of Romans. And the in the Roman and the book of Romans is very uh atonement heavy. It's very vertical. It's very dealing with our personal salvation, how man is reconciled to God. It's very vertical. And and I realized when I'm preaching here on the Sermon on the Mount, it's very horizontal. And so I'm really like, whoa, the church is, is getting both. They're getting the vertical from the book of Romans where you're getting the atonement theology. And now we're getting the horizontal through the Sermon on the Mount. So you're getting both, which is awesome. So uh, I'm praising God for that, that we can get both at the same time. Uh, the vertical man and God and also man and how we respond and treat others. So that's what Jesus shows us heavy in the Sermon on the Mount. That Sermon on the Mount is very horizontal and how we uh, show a, a godliness in a fallen world. And so today we're going to pick back up there in the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, we are on verse 33 a few weeks or about a month ago. We, uh, <laughs> we, we did verse 30, uh, what was it, 37 through 33. Two, uh, talking about adultery and lust. And today we're doing Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, we're doing Matthew chapter 5, verses 33, and we're going to get verses 33 to 37. It's a lot of verses, right? 33 to 37, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaching to us, showing us how we ought to act and treat one another Hey man, and Fernando, you didn't ask me for a title. So you always think about you in the morning. I'm like, Fernando's going to ask me. Well, since this is narrative, I, I really don't have a title. But um, if I would, I would title it, Mean What You Say and Say What You Mean. <laughs> mean What You Say, Say What You Mean. So in today's text, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to assess credibility. Credibility is lacking in our society. We're also going to discuss being a person of your word. So credibility and being a person of your word where your yes means yes and your no means no. So let's read verse 33 down to 37 and we'll come back and discuss it. And you will be using your Bible a lot today. 
uh, particularly in the Old Testament. So have your, your, your trigger finger ready or your sword finger, however you want, you want to say. It. All right. So here we go. Verse 33, chapter five. This is Jesus. Our Lord is speaking right now. He has an audience before him. He has disciples before him. He has a multitude of people before him and he's going through uh, this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and look what he says here. He says, and you have heard that the ancients were told, remember he said that in the previous verses, you shall not make false vows, or some of your books may say an oath, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is evil or of the evil one. Some of your translations may say. So when you come to this text, if you're if you're like me, you're actually kind of bothered a little bit by this text. And you're bothered, not uh, not per se of the, of the words itself, but its placement in the Sermon on the Mount. Because if you look at the flow of chapter 5, particularly when, when Jesus starts to uh, compare what the ancients were told, he starts off in verse 21 and he, and he talks about adultery, or not adultery, he talks about murder. And he talks about how, how, how you can commit murder in the heart, that it's not just physical murder, but you can commit murder in the heart. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, I get you. That's a deep topic. That is something that we really need to think on, Jesus. You're right. Murder, I got to look at murder in my heart. Am I doing that to my brothers and sisters? And then as you keep moving on in this text in chapter 5, he, he then goes to uh, to uh, adultery. And he speaks on how you can commit adultery in your heart, not even just physical adultery, but you can commit adultery, adultery in your heart by, by looking with your eyes. And so I'm saying, okay, Jesus, now you are, you're digging here, Jesus. You are, you're going deep here. This is good stuff, Jesus. And then as you go from there, he next comes up to, uh, divorce and he talks about divorce and i'm saying okay jesus that's that's good stuff that's good meat that i need i need for my soul divorce i I need to understand that jesus okay but then he goes down to 33 and 33 he 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 goes with making vows and, and then he talks about your yes being yes. And I'm like, Jesus, that's so anticlimactic. I mean, you, you just went from adultery, murder in the heart. You just went from lust to just make your words. Your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Like, like Jesus, come on, give me a little bit more. Like, Jesus, there, there's so much more it, it seems like you can address. But you, you found time. You wanted generations of people to know to, to make your, your yes mean yes and your no mean no. And so, so I'm like, I, I'm like, Jesus, why is this such a big deal? Does it seem that it's such a big deal that you got to fit it in here? Because next week we're going to be talking about uh, eye for an eye and two for a tooth and turn, turn the other cheek. And so that, that's another heavy topic where I'm saying, Jesus, OK, I'm feeling you, Jesus. I get you. But right here you're saying, let your yes be yes. And your no be no, and you're talking about making oaths and and vows, and so it just it seems so out of place to me. 
And if you read this text, it may seem like it's out of place. It may seem even in this text that Jesus is prohibiting all types of swearing. And when I say swearing today, when I use the word swearing, I am not talking about like profanity and curse words, but I'm talking about an oath or a promise, that type of swearing where you say, I swear by this, I swear by that. So that's the type of swearing I'm going to be referring to when I, when I speak about that today. So again, as I said, when you, when you read verse 33 through 37, it looks like Jesus is prohibiting swearing. Like that is not something that we should do at all. Like we cannot take an oath. But what you must understand, there is a context in why, G, in where Jesus is saying and what he's saying. There's a narrative context in here and there's a historical context. And that's going to better help us to understand why Jesus in verse 33 is actually bringing out this thing of vows and oaths. And so in order for us to understand the narrative context of why Jesus is saying this, we have to go back to verses 20. Go back to verse 20 and 5 in chapter 5. Because it is here where we get our narrative context or our narrative context for this whole passage of scripture. Because in verse 20, it is where Jesus began his, for I say unto you. He, he begins it here where he says, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 19, I said it, which says, but, uh, but I, I'm sorry, it is 20. For I say unto you that unless your righteousness, so that is where Jesus begins this compare and contrast of the traditions of the teachings of the Pharisees and scribes. And we see that he does that in the next couple of verses that he speaks on. He says, but I say unto you, you were told this from the ancients, but, but I say this unto you. So in 20, he says, but for I say unto you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus, again, I know we discussed this before, and I'm kind of giving you an overview to bring us up to 33. But Jesus, when he says the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, he's not talking about positional righteousness here. He's not talking about a righteousness with God. He's talking about your daily practical righteousness, your your day to day righteousness. And he's saying that your righteousness must surpass these scribes and Pharisees. And so in the next couple of verses, he gives us practical examples of the righteousness that must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. So in 21, he says, you have heard that it was said that you shall not commit murder. And then he goes on to show us how their righteousness is exceeded by the righteousness of the kingdom of God. So Jesus, in these next couple of verses, up, up, up into 33, he shows us where the righteousness of the Pharisees starts and ends, and he shows us how the righteousness of the kingdom of God exceeds their righteousness. And he shows us that by not just guarding against physical murder, which was the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, but you must also guard against the murder of the heart caused by anger. Or you can't just guard against a physical act of adultery, which is the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, but adultery that is caused in the heart through lust. And he shows us that divorcing your spouse for any reason, which was the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees of that time, is not not right. It's only in the case of adultery. But even in those cases, those cases, God prefers reconciliation. But here's the thing. In all those passages that we read where Jesus says, but I say unto you, in all of those passages that Jesus speaks, he does not contradict the teachings of the elders. He is not contradicting the teachings of the fathers. 
There's no contradicting here. Jesus is just bringing a true, the true understanding, the true interpretation of the verses that they're alluding to. See, see, he, he's not contradicting at all. And that's what, that's the first point I want you to get. When he said, but I say to you, he's not contradicting, but he's actually just taking the righteousness that they have, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, and he's taking it to a deeper level. He's taking it to a, a whole no, another level. He's taking it to the, the righteousness of the, of the uh, kingdom of God. Now, what you must understand, just like in our days, during this period, you had the Pharisees, um, and, and you had the Pharisees who believed that they were righteous by their good works. That's kind of just like in our society. See, in, in this Jewish society, they had this, this cultural standard of righteousness. And this cultural standard of righteousness was, was, uh, the, uh, was propagated by the scribes and the Pharisees. See, they were the gatekeepers of what righteousness was. It's just like in our society. See, in our society, there is a standard of righteousness that people attain and because they are reaching society standard of righteousness they believe that they are righteous just like the Pharisees and the scribes see that was what was happening they believed that they were righteous because they were meeting the standard that they set for themselves just like in our society the standard of righteousness in our society is hey you're paying your taxes you're taking care of your family you're not breaking any laws you're not doing anything wrong like that then you are righteous you are a good person you believe because i have met society standards i am right but what we find here with jesus in this sermon on the mount that he is going beyond just the physical acts but jesus is concerned with the heart he's concerned with the intentions he's concerned with what's behind the actions so when we get to verse 33 today we see that jesus is again he is not here contradicting these pharisees and scribes He's not saying that you cannot make any oaths. He's not contradicting them, but he's taking it to a higher level. He's bringing a true interpretation of those verses of scripture that they are, uh, that they are alluding to. So he's not saying that they're not correct. Just like in verse 21, when he says that you should not commit murder, they are right. You should not commit murder. Jesus is not contradicting that. Just like they said, you should not commit adultery. Jesus is not saying that they're wrong. and You should. He said, no, that is right. But there is a higher level. There is a higher standard of righteousness that you must attain to. And we know this because we find that even in the Old Testament, there are tons of places throughout Scripture that not only encourages making vows and oath, but it, it affirms making vows and oath. So Jesus is not going to contradict the things that's already written in Scripture in tons of places. And, and I want to show you that. Matter of fact, go with me. This is Old Testament. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And my point in showing you all this, I want to show you how Jesus and how the scriptures is not contradicting or Jesus is not contradicting what has been said by the fathers. That making an oath or taking a vow is not something that Jesus is prohibiting, but it's something that's actually affirmed, but he's getting to a deeper meaning. But I want to first show you the Old Testament context of why the father said that and why Jesus is saying what he's saying. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want you to look at verse 13. And I want you to see what we have in the Old Testament scriptures about swearing, making vows, or taking oaths. 
So he says this in verse 13. He says, you shall fear only the Lord your God and you shall worship him. And what is he saying you should do? And you shall swear by his name. So we have this in the Old Testament. Say you should worship God and he's commanding them to go ahead and swear by my name. I want to show you another place. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. Look at verse 20 to 21. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 20 to 21. Look what it says here. You shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall serve him and cling to him. And guess what? And you shall what? Swear by his name. So what we have here in the Old Testament, we have the word of God telling people you should make an oath. You should swear by God's name. So you should be asking, okay, why is he saying this then? What is the meaning behind it? Why is he saying that you should swear by God's name? The reason he's saying that is because swearing by God's name was a way of honoring God because you were saying that, God, you are the ultimate authority. You are the sovereign one. You are the most powerful one. So that if I don't keep my word because I believe you are sovereign, you will strike me down. You will take me out. And so swearing by God's name was to show honor to God. and It was to show that what I'm saying is true. What I'm saying, I'm willing to put it on the line because I am honoring God and I'm not going to use God's name in vain by making a promise to his name and not carrying it out. See, that is the real meaning of do not take the Lord's name in vain. See, we often think taking the name, the Lord's name in vain is saying don't attach God's name to a curse word. That's like level two of what that verse actually means. To take God's name in vain is to say, I am, I'm doing this in God's name and I'm not going to carry out on my promises. It's kind of like what Paul was saying in Romans chapter two, verse 24, when he said that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, because the Jews were claiming the name of God. They were saying, we have the true religion, we have the true faith, but then they were going and living a life that is contradictory to that. And so the Gentiles were making fun, they were mocking God, they were blaspheming God. Why? Because they were taking God's name in vain. They were messing up, they were claiming the name of God and going and living a life contrary. And that is the same thing, my brothers and sisters. When you claim the name of Christ, when you claim the name of Christian, and people know who you are, and you go and live a way contrary to that, you are now taking the the Lord's name in vain. And that is the issue that he is bringing here. And that is why they're saying, I'm going to swear by the name of the Lord, because if I don't keep this promise that I'm saying, then I'm really not revering the Lord. Then I'm not really fearing the Lord. I'm not really fearing that he's going to strike me down. So if I make a promise by God's name and not doing it, I'm actually showing a disrespect to his name. See, to swear by God's name was to honor God, to say, you are sovereign. Matter of fact, I want to show you this. Uh, and Zephaniah, I know that's one of those small books. You may have to use your, your table of contents for it. Uh, matter of fact, and I'm going to be blunt. I had to put it, I put a note here a little <laughs> because I was trying to find that little small book. And I'm like, it's so small, you'll, you'll miss it. But I want to show you something real quick. Go to Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah chapter 1. I want to show you verse five through uh six. Matter of fact, I'm starting uh four. I'm starting four to five. And I want to show you 
uh, the context of taking the Lord's name in vain and uh, swearing by his name only. So this is God bringing judgment upon Israel for their their apostasy, I guess you would say. So Zephaniah, we all here? Chapter 1, verses, it's by uh, Habakkuk, between Habakkuk and Zechariah. All right, I'm sorry, Haggai. All right, we're here. Here we go. So look what God is saying here. He said, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the names of the idolatrous priests along with the priests. Look at five. Here goes the key part. And those who bow down on the housetops to the house, to the host of heaven and those who bow down, look and swear to the Lord. And yet what? Swear by Malcolm. Do you see that? Do you see why, why there's a problem in there? Because they're putting the God of Malcolm up there with God. They're swearing by God and they're swearing by this other God, making him equivalent with God. See, they're saying you're, you're the same. And so God has a problem. He's like, no, you only swear by my name because when you swear by my name, you're saying that I'm sovereign. I'm God. I'm the greatest. I'm the, the God of hosts. But when you bring somebody else in, you're, you're putting them on my level and that's sin. And that's why he had a problem with them swearing that way. No, Israel, you're only supposed to swear by me because I'm the sovereign God. I'm the one who has ultimate authority. I'm the one that can strike down. So he had a problem with that. Why? Because they were swearing by another God's, by another God's name. So we see that swearing was something that was encouraged to Israel. It was something to show that this is a, the real deal. I want to show you another place. Go with me to Leviticus. Leviticus 19.12. Leviticus 19.12. This is about swearing and taking God's name in vain. Look at Leviticus 19.12 here. I'm going to start in 11 and come down. So he says here, he says, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Look, you shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. That goes back again to what we talked about. To, to swear falsely is to make a promise, to make a pledge, and to attach God's name to it and not do it. He's saying, when, when you do that, you are profaning my name. You're profaning my name. When you attach my name to something that you say you're going to do, when you attach my name by an oath, by swearing, and you don't carry it through, you are blaspheming. You are profaning my name. You're showing no reverence for my name. And so God is saying, you don't do that. You keep your word. You do what you're going to say. You're going to attach me to it. You have to carry it out. So that's what it means to really take the Lord's name in vain. It's to carry his name and not to live it out, not to do something. And you're attaching his name to it. And he said, that's profaning the name of God. I want to show you another place in the Old Testament, how using the name of God was used in just your regular dealings. Um, go to Genesis chapter 21 with Abraham. Abraham and Amalek and uh, what is the guy named Loki? I believe it is. Or, or Cloki. Genesis 21. 22 through 24. Genesis 
Philco. I think that's how you pronounce that. So here you have Abraham. And he's, look, look what it says here. It says, now it came about at that time that Amalek and Philco, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, look what he says to him. Swear to me here by God that you will deal, not deal falsely with me or with my offspring. So they realized that, whoa, Abraham has this anointing on him. Anything he does, God blesses it. God is just heavily upon this man. So just swear to me. See what he said? He said, swear to me by your God that you're not going to deal falsely with me because I, I see that God's anointing is on you. I see that God's favor is on you. So I'm praying, just, just swear to me by God that you're not going to deal falsely with me or with my offsprings, he says, but according to the kindness that I have shown to you, you shall show to me to the land in which you have sojourned. And look what Abraham does in 24. Abraham says what? I swear it. That means it's done deal. They didn't have escrow then. They didn't have a, any, any mediator. It was just you swearing by God. You're saying that God is sovereign. May, may God witness against me. If I do not keep this oath, then may his wrath come upon me. So they're swearing by God's name to make the deal solid and real. This is how they operated during this period. And if you think this is just a, an Old Testament thing, you, you actually have this in Romans. I'm sorry, in the New Testament. Let me show you. Uh, in, in Romans 1 9, for example, where Paul is praying for the Romans, he says, he says, God is my witness that he did not cease to pray for the Romans. When a person said, God is my witness, they're bringing God's name to the oaks and it is true that I have prayed for you. May God witness against me if I'm lying. So Paul says, God is my witness that I do not cease to pray for you. And that's in Romans 1 9 to you taking notes. I'm going to show you another place in the New Testament where an oath is being used. Go to Galatians chapter uh, 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Galatians chapter 1, verse 20. Galatians chapter 1, verse 20. I'm going to come in 19. I'm going to come down to 20. So we looked at the Old Testament, we've seen how swearing and oath bringing was made, and now we're seeing it in the New Testament, how Paul is swearing, saying, may God witness against me. God is the proof that I'm telling you the truth. Look what he says here in Galatians. I'm going to come in verse 19. I'm going to come down to 20. He says, but I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. 20. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. You see how Paul is bringing in God as his witness to, to make proof that what I'm telling you is the truth. By God, I'm not lying. God is my witness. He's bringing God into the occasion. That was oath making. Here. When you say God is my witness, you say, man, he witnessed against me. God is right here. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying in what I'm saying here. So we have Paul speaking and bringing oath making in his speech. We also have Jesus bringing himself under an oath in Matthew 26. Go with me here. Matthew 26, verse 63. Told you you're going to use your Bible a lot. So this is Jesus. He's before the high priest. I'm starting at 62. Always start a verse up, then I come down. Matthew 26, verse 62. I'm coming down to 63. It says, 
Are we all here? I hear pages turning. All right. It says, the high priest stood up and said to him, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you. Greek, her kidzo. That means I am bringing you under oath. I'm bringing you under oath. Look what he says here. I adjure you. I'm bringing you under oath by the living God. So I'm bringing you under oath by God himself. See, that's kind of, it's kind of like tantamount to us going into a, a courtroom and saying, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, so help me God, or whatever they say, and they put their hands on the Bible. You're bringing yourself under oath. That's the same thing the high priest is doing with Jesus. He's saying, under oath, I adjure you by the living God. I'm, I'm extracting an oath upon you. Tell me, are you the son of, what do you say? Uh, tell us whether you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And we look at what happens with Jesus. Jesus does not back out of this oath. He does not say, no, I'm not going to answer under oath. But look what Jesus says here. Jesus says to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Look what happened in 65. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has blasphemed. He just made an oath under the living God. And now he's saying he's the son of God. and He's going to be coming in power. That is why the high priest, he's ripping his clothes. He said, that is so wrong. You just made an oath under God. You deserve to die because you just said that you are the Messiah and you said it under oath. So you deserve God's wrath. You deserve to die. So Christ goes and brings himself under this oath and says, it's true what you're saying. Under the oath of the living God. He says, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So he does not back out of that oath. But he says, yes, I am the Messiah. And we also find oath or vow making in Revelations. Not with an S, I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 10, verse 5 through 6. Go me there. We all know what that book is at, right? Chapter chapter 10, verses 5 through 6. Look what the angel says here. It says here, it says, Then the angel whom I saw standing, this is John talking about, this is the vision that he sees. He says, Then the angel who I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven, and look what happened, and what? Swore. By who? By him, talking about God, who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it. So now you have this angel swearing by God here. Old Testament to New Testament. We see oath making, vow making is affirmed and it's even commanded. So then. What do we do with our main text in where Jesus is saying, but I say to you, make no oath this way or that way. Is there a contradiction in scripture? Is there, what do we do with this? Because we're, we're looking at the Old Testament. We're seeing how oaths were made and God commanded it. But now we have here Jesus saying in Matthew 5, 33, but I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, that's the throne of God, or by earth. 
for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair of your head black or white. What do we do with that, Jesus? Again, we must remember, remember, narrative context, narrative context. You always have to have context, context, context. What is the context of Jesus even making these statements, these comparative statements? He's showing us the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, and he's showing us that our righteousness must exceed their righteousness. That's why he starts off verse 20 with saying, but I say unto you, he's contrasting the the, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees who propagated, who taught what was said to the ancients. That is the thing that he's comparing. He's comparing the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. To better help you understand this, I want you to see this. Go to Matthew 23, and you'll better understand it, I believe, and what Jesus is really addressing here, since he's not addressing just making an absolute statement against oats, but he's really hitting at the heart of something else that's going on here. 23. We're going to look at verses 16 through 22. And I'm going to just read it for you. I'm going to come back down and then I think it'll click a little bit better for you. So remember, this is Jesus. Remember, he's going after the, the scribes and Pharisees. These are the woes. Remember, he's going at them hard for their wrong teaching. And look what he says here. 16. He says, woe. Matthew 23. 16. I hear those pages turning. Look what he says here. He says, woe to you, blind guides. Who say, whoever swears by the temple, look, that is nothing. But whoever swells by the gold of the temple, guess what? Now he's obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that is sanct- that sanctifies the gold? 18. And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, now he's obligated. 19. You blind men. Which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? 20. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells in it. 22. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits Upon it. Why is Jesus saying woe to this? What is Jesus attacking? See, the Pharisees taught. This is the key thing you have to understand in Matthew 5. Jesus says that you have heard that it was said that you should fulfill your vows to the Lord. The key word is to the Lord. The Pharisees were teaching that as long as you didn't swear in God's name, as long as you didn't use God's name, a part of your swearing, guess what? You can get out of the obligation. So if I can swear by the, the temple, and guess what? I can break my promise because I didn't bring God's name into the equation. I can swear by the head, uh, the hair on my head. Guess what? But I didn't swear by God, so I could break my obligation. See, they had different, they had different rules. They were working around the law. As long as I didn't swear and bring God into the equation, I could, I, I could break my obligation. My no would not mean no. My yes would not mean yes. See, that is what Jesus is attacking. He's attacking their erroneous system that they have used to allow people to break their promises, to not be of their word. 
And so he's saying, no, you can't do that. He's calling that system that they're doing evil. It is evil for you to say something knowing in your mind you have the intentions of breaking what you're going to say and you feel okay with it because you didn't bring God in the equation. Because if you brought God in the equation, then you actually have to do it because a Jew would not swear by the name of God and not do it. So they found this little workaround. And so that is the evil system that Jesus is attacking. And that's why he said, no, just just let your no mean no and your yes mean yes. Don't go into I'm going to swear by the temple. I'm going to swear by the altar. Why? Because you're, you're really not going to stay to to what you're actually going to do. You're, you're just you're just working around. You're just you're just taking this thing the other way. See, this um, oath taking and making vows was such a big deal in this first century culture. We don't get it because it's not huge in our culture, but you got to understand in the Mishnah, remember there was the oral Torah and there was the written Torah. Remember you had the Mishnah, you had the oral Torah and in the Mishnah you had the dialogue between the different rabbis and how they interpreted Moses. In the Mishnah, there are whole treaties on how you make vows and how you break vows. There are whole treaties on how you make an oath and when it's okay to make an oath. It's never okay okay to break an oath if you bring God in the equation. But if you don't bring God in the equation, there are ways for you to get out of the promises that you made. See, they have a whole legal system around that was the culture or the society that Jesus was in. That is why Jesus is making these statements. You notice he, he doesn't say in Matthew 5, 22 or 33, he, he doesn't say, um, he says, make no oath at all. Look, either by heaven because they would swear, they would say, I swear by heaven that I'm not going to do such and such a thing. Or I swear by earth that I'm not going to do such and such a thing. Or I swear by Jerusalem that I'm not going to do such and such a thing. But guess what? Because I swear by those things and by God, I could break my obligation. And my word means nothing. So Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. In your, in your regular conversation, just make your, your yes mean yes and your no means no. Don't go add these other things because you really have no obligation or intentions to keeping what you said. That is the culture. That is what Jesus here is exposing. Don't do these things. Don't go and create these broken systems that allows you to get around my word. So he said, no, for my believers, make your yes mean yes and your no mean no. I will show you another example of this. James, James chapter 5. Look what James says. Chapter 5, verse 12. Hebrew, let me get there. I'm slow. Hebrews, James. Chapter 5, verse 12. At 512, look what, J- look what James says to the, to the church, to believers. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Oh, well, I'm in Peter. There we go. Okay, 512, look what he says this. Above all, my brethren, look what he says. Do not swear, look, either by heaven, why is he saying heaven? Remember, that's what their, that's what their system did. If you sw- say, I swear by heaven, you can break it. So James is attacking the same system that Jesus is attacking. He's not saying don't swear by the name of God because they did that. We've seen that from the Old Testament to the New. But he's talking, he's attacking this faulty system, this workaround that allows you to break your word. So James is saying here, uh, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but 
Your yes is to be yes and your no is no so that you may not fall under judgment. And here's the crazy thing about James right here. If you look at the previous verses, the previous verses, James is showing the believers how they ought to endure during suffering. The previous verses, he, he's showing them how they ought to endure in suffering. But in 12, he says, but above all things, keep your word. It's like he's saying that your word is more important than even what you're suffering through. Because in, in the previous verses, he's saying, brother, you're suffering, but I want you to endure. You're going to be blessed. Just, just keep enduring. But then he goes in chapter or verse 12 and says, but above all, hold on, James, you just talked about suffering. And now you said, above all, I want your yes to be yes and your no to be no. Don't make any oaths. See, it matters what we say. It is that powerful. It matters that you keep your word, that you do not bind yourself to oaths that you do not intend on keeping. He said, but above all things, make sure you're not doing this. See, it is so important, the words that we say, especially as representing Christ. James is breaking up that faulty system as well, where people were going around just saying whatever and just not intending to, to keep it, defrauding people. James is saying, no, don't do that. You're going to bring yourself into judgment. So he's attacking this, this, this faulty system. He's attacking pretentious swearing, where you're making it sound all holy. Oh, I swear by heaven. Oh, I swear by, swear by earth. Oh, I swear by the temple. And you are not planning to do anything. You're just using these pretentious words to make it seem like you're holy, to make it seem like you're doing something, but it's not even real. So he's saying, make your yes be yes, and your no be no. Now, I know that we don't live by in, like an, an oath and, and vow system like they did. We don't have whole, well, we have the law, but we don't have systems like they did during the first century. But guess what? We still have the same trust and credibility issues just like they had. We still have the same trust and credibility issues today. And it's probably even worse. And you see that as witnessed by the home buying process. I don't know if any of you ever purchased a house, but you know that if you purchase a house, they're going to give you a stack of papers like this big. You have to sign 50 to 100 pages this big. And all of those papers, you're saying, I promise I'm going to pay back this loan. You got 50 to 100 pages of paper all saying that, yes, I am who I say I am. And I'm going to pay back this loan. Why? Because we have trust, credibility issues. Because you have the promissory note where you're saying, yes, I promise I'm going to pay this back. I acknowledge my debt and I'm going to pay this back. Then you have the deed of trust. And not only that, they have you sign in front of a notary. And the notary's main job is to say that the person who's supposed to be signing this is the person that is in front of me. We have credibility and trust issues. But Jesus is saying, no, not with my people, not with my disciples, not with people who are the kingdom of God. No, not with you. The world may be like that, but no, with you, you keep your word. Your yes means yes and your no means no. See, it's different from the for the believer. We are supposed to be different because we've all probably been ripped off before. By people that said things that sounded sweet, it sounded nice, it sounded good, and they took us to the cleaners. But Jesus is saying, no, not you. 
you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're different. Yes, the world may have those issues, but not not with you. You're not defrauding. You're not, you're not doing these things. Your, your yes means yes, and your no means no if you're going to follow me. See, what Jesus is doing by his teaching, he is setting the believers apart from the world. Remember in John 17 where he says, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. See, as we take Jesus's word to heart and we live it, guess what? We are being sanctified. We are being set apart according to truth. You are set apart as you follow God's word. See, many people in my generation we really struggled with our uniqueness, our identity. We, we, we wanted to find what makes us special. And so I find many of my, my, my generation, millennials, whatever you want to call it, they, they do many things to, to make themselves unique. So we, we'll go out and we'll get tattoos that nobody else has to kind of make ourselves unique. Or they'll change their hairstyle or they'll change the way that they dress. Why? Because they're looking for their uniqueness. They're looking for that thing that makes them different, that separates them from everybody else in the world. But guess what, my brothers and sisters? You're never more unique as when you're living out the word of God. As when you're taking his word to heart, as you're living out the commandments of God, guess what? Then you are standing out from the rest. Now you are being unique as you follow the word of God. This is our uniqueness. It's the commandments of the Lord. This is what makes us different as we follow him and do his word. A little bit earlier, um, we, we, we looked at how Jesus brought himself under oath. But did you also know that even God the Father swore an oath and that his oath is at the heart of the gospel? The oath that the Father swore is at the heart of the gospel. Let me show you what I mean. Go with me to chapter uh, 6 of Hebrews. Chapter 6 of Hebrews. And I want you to see verse 13 through 17. Thirteen through seventeen. Chapter six. And after that, we're gonna to go to Galatians three twenty nine. So if you want to pin that verse, that's next. I'm, I'm just trying to connect it all for you. I want you to see this. This is really which is ministering to me. I'm praising God in the morning. And just like, wow, Lord, you swore this. You're not changing. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, for when God made the promise to Abraham, look, since he could what? Swear by no one greater, because when you swore, you always swore by something that is greater than you. So since God is the greatest, he's going to swear by himself. So he says he could swear by no one greater. He swore by himself saying, I swear by myself as my witness. <laughs> I will surely bless you and surely multiply you. This is God's promise. He's swearing that by myself, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. This is what he said to Abraham. Look at 15. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Look at 16. 
For men swear by one, what? Greater than themselves. When they swear, they always swear by something greater than themselves. And with them, look, an oath is given as confirmation in the end of every dispute. So if you have a dispute and you give an oath, the fact that you gave an oath, that ends a dispute. That says that this is the real deal. So it says that an oath is given to end all disputes. Look what he says in 17. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the what? Hairs of promise. Who are the hairs of promise? He just, God just made a, a promise to Abraham that he will surely bless Abraham. Those are the promises of Abraham. He says, the, he said, I'm going to bless you. But in 17, he says, in the same way, God is desiring to show to the hairs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. So who are the hairs of promise that God is desiring to show this to? He wants somebody to have confidence. He wants somebody to have assurance that what he said is going to come to pass. Who are those hairs? Look at Galatians 3.29. Galatians 3, 29. Are we here? Remember, if we're talking about Abraham, the promises that God has made to Abraham. And then it says that God, he wants to provide some assurance to the heir, heirs of the promise. Let's see who the heirs of the promise are. 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are, guess what? Abraham's what? Descendants and what? Heirs according to promise. Okay? So what are we talking about here? Promises of what? Promise of what? It's, it's, it's the blessings. It's the blessings that God has promised. The blessings of the, re- the giving of the Holy Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, or Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Those are all the promises that God promised to give. The Holy Spirit is a promise. And God has sworn that he was going to give those things. And so if you're an heir, you have received the promise that God has sworn to give, which is the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, you guys are looking at me funny. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 39. This probably feels like a Bible study with all these verses, but I want you to see it and not just my, my commentary. So Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 39. Look at what we have here with Peter. Peter said to them, repent, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as God will call, as we as we see that the promise that God has promised long ago. Starting with Abram, where he said, I swear by myself that I'm going to bless. I'm going to do such and such a thing. He has sworn by himself in that he will not change. So he will give the Holy Spirit to his children. And if you are a child of God, you are a recipient of this Holy Spirit. You are a recipient of the blessing of the promises that God has said he's going to give. Another of the, uh, the blessings includes victory over our enemies, victory over sin, Satan, and death. Look at Luke chapter 1. 
Luke chapter 1, verses 72 to 74. All of this is with the oath that God promised and swore. Chapter 1, verses 72 to 74. All right, I'm going to just keep going because I know getting time is, is, is getting by. Look what he says here. This is Zacharias praying, praying, or he's prophesying, he's speaking about the Messiah. And look what he says in chapter 1, verse 72. He says, to show mercy towards our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Here go, here we go. 73. Look, the oath which he what? Swore. Remember, he swore to Abram, he swore an oath by himself that he's going to do such and such a thing. The oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, would he swear to grant us that we been rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Who are the believers enemies? It is sin, Satan and death. He has promised to Abraham. I promise you, I'm going to rescue that. I'm going to, I'm going to save you from sin, Satan and death. How does he do that? He does that by the sending of the Messiah. That is why he's rejoicing. See, those are the promises of Abraham that God has sworn to give and he has kept his word. By sending in the Messiah. That was part of the oath that God made. That's part of the promises that he made. This is the oath. You know what else is the blessings that God has promised and has sworn that we will receive? We're going to receive the new heavens and new earth, the new heavenly city, the heavenly city that Abraham was looking forward to, that that new heavens, new earth. That is part of the blessing. God has promised that with an oath. He said, I'm going to bless you. There's going to be a, a new land. And Abraham was looking for that land where God is the maker. He's the builder. He's the one who lays the foundation. That is the new heavens and new earth. God is saying, I am swearing by myself. I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be yours. See, you you have to rejoice in that, believers, that God has sworn that you have a new heavens and new earth waiting for you, that it is coming to you, that it's going to be a part of your life. He has sworn and he will not change. That is part of the blessings that we can rejoice in. That is why the writer of Hebrews is reminding them of the promises of Abraham, that they will persevere because God is not changing. He said God has sworn and said it so you can have your hope in this. This is the anchor of the soul. Your hope is to be here in the Messiah because God has promised these things. He has sworn by himself with an oath that I am going to perform what I said. That is our hope. That is something we rejoice in. This is ours as followers of Christ. This is ours. The promises. Hebrews 11. Go there please. Hebrews 11. I want you to see. I'm going to just read from 13 to 16. You got to, man, I pray the Holy Spirit lets you rejoice in this. It's a promise. He won't break it. It's yours. You got to see it. It's yours. 11, 13 through 16. Talking about the promises to Abraham. Look what it says. All these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them, having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. 
And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God has sworn that there's a city prepared for you, my brothers and sisters. He's not changing. Those were the promises to Abraham. The scripture we are to look at says we are heirs of the promise. That means those promises are to you and I as well. God is saying, I'm not changing in this. This is yours. So the writer of Hebrews in 6, he reminds him, that is why you must persevere. Because God has already sworn it. That is your anchor of the soul. That is the anchor of our soul. This hope we have because God has sworn and God will not change. See, these are the blessings that God has promised. We also have the blessing of going behind the veil, having access to God. That's also part of the blessing that God has promised. And we receive that through the Messiah. And for the sake of time, I just give you those verses. If you want to write them down, you can find that in Hebrews 13 to 20, chapter 6. You can find that in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 20, that we can now go in the presence of God because of Christ, which is part of the promise. It's because of him we have this promise. Now, with that said, my brothers and sisters, I, I want to make this comment because that's how I was preparing this, this text. This thought came to me. And I'm closing. I just want to share this. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. Paul tells the Corinthians, Brethren, I will not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able, able to receive it. And this is not a condemnation on nobody. It's not saying that I'm up here or you're up there or I'm down here and you're up here. But it's just an encouragement that, brothers and sisters, if the only time you're reading your scriptures is when you come here, then what I say and Pastor Brian say is going to go right over your head. It's going to feel like meat and you're an infant newborn. If you're not in your scriptures, you're going to miss a lot of this. It's really just going to fly over your head. A lot of these verses, these passages, are going to be, you're going to be very unfamiliar with it, and it's not going to make sense. And so, and so my point that I just want you to just understand is that you have to get in your word so that the stuff that is said from here does not just fly over your head. And when you come and you come to church and saying, I just don't get it, it's too much. You have to get in your word where it's not feeling like you're a newborn baby trying to eat a steak. So stay in your word. Because I, I don't want you to miss the stuff that's being said. Like we went over a lot of texts today. And if you're really not familiar with some of those texts, what I'm saying, you just totally missed a lot of what I said because it was just really new to you. So I just want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, stay in your word. So that when you come here on Sunday, you can receive or you can eat and feast on it and not be choking because it's just way over your head. So please don't take that as a condemnation. I'm just it's just an encouragement, just a reminder to just stay in your scriptures. So with that said, we see how Jesus shows us we have to be people of our word. We got to watch what we say. His people has to be different. We have to be different than the people of the world. We are salt. We are light. 
Watch what you say. Watch what you promise. And keep your word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for just being great and awesome, Lord. We thank you for swearing by yourself that you will fulfill and accomplish all that you said. We thank you for sending the Messiah according to promise. Ah, Lord, we thank you for saving us according to your promise, not leaving us in the dust according to your promise. You've kept your word. So we know we can trust you for your return because you've already proved yourself, Lord. Be glorified, God, to your scripture. May this word stay upon our heart. Lord, Father, God, it's in Jesus' name. It is through him as the meteor that we even approach you. Amen. Amen.